Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 64 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. It's been a long time between drinks, and for this episode, with plenty happening around the world of golf since we spoke to Ian Carter on our last show back in January, if you can believe that. I'm sure we'll touch on plenty of those happenings today as we chat to LPGA player Christina Kim, which will be an absolute hoot, I'm sure. Before we meet Christina, however, let me bring in my co-hosts, whose voices I've almost forgotten what they sound like from the US, blogger, architect, critic, golf channel regular. Jeff Shackelford, Shaq, remind me what you Hi. sound like. <laughs> I, I'm getting reacquainted with your voice as well. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. Absolutely. And uh, it'll be good to chat with Christina today here in Australia. The always interesting magazine columnist, course architect, occasional caddy, former touring pro, Mike Clayton. Clates, this has all been your work. You met Christina over at the Australian Open in Adelaide and you've managed to get her on the show as a guest. Well done to you and good to catch up. Thank you, Rob. And most importantly, this episode, our special guest, four-time LPGA Tour winner, three-time Solheim Cup participant, and described on Wikipedia as, I think, effervescent was the word that I saw, and an outgoing personality. Christina Kim, I think most golf fans are probably familiar with you for all of those reasons. Thanks for taking some time to chat to us on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. I've never been called effervescent before. I've been called gassy, but not effervescent. Uh, well, let's not go through the list of things we've all been called over time, shall we? We could be here all day. And I've just correct myself. Animated style of play, they say on Wikipedia. Flamboyant dress and outgoing personality. All those things are true, aren't they? What's going on there? Golf's not a game for flamboyant, outgoing and fun. What? Are, how did you manage to sneak through the all the uh, the barriers that golf puts in front of people? I don't think I really snuck through. I think I just kind of ran my way through. <laughs> uh, has it, in all honesty, uh, have all of those things, we we complain about it a lot as fans. We don't see a huge amount of personality in golf. Hana Zhang has come along this year and shown lots of personality and she's proving very popular because of it. What's your own take on sort of that part of professional golf? We do tend to see a lot of players who don't show a lot, don't we? Yeah, you know, you do. I, I uh, Over the years since I've been on the LPGA Tour for hack, God, almost half my life. Um, I've kind of realized that a lot of it is just it's personality based uh, in relate in relation to the sport. I mean, golf is a sport of independence, and it's generally something that um, people that generally thrive on it are more introverted, just because of the way that the game is played. It's played all in your mind, and um, you know, I just think that it's 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 kind of that that balance, and so you get you know the random oddball like whether it's it's myself or Hannah Jang or 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 like a John Daly, but there's actually a lot of personalities out there. I just don't think that um, personally, most television corporations don't do a very good job of uh, showcasing them. You're probably right about that, Clay. You played the game for a long time. Does it lack personality? It's a criticism we often hear and occasionally make. Is there a lack of characters in the game, or do we just not to get to see that side of them? Well, you just you don't get to see them, and you don't. I mean, often the ones with personality aren't the best players. So guys like Simon Hobday and Tony Johnson and John Bland and Stuart Ginn and Jack Newton and you know there were lots of players that I played with and around that time who had who were tremendously funny people who had a ball out in the tour and made everyone laugh constantly. And I mean, Seve was a great. I mean, Seve was the great personality character player, really, all, all rolled into one. Mm-hmm. No, he was he was amazing, but but Christina's right. You know, it, it's a game that suits Gene Littler's as much as it suits Christina Kim's or John Daly's or Seve Ballesteros or Simon Hobday's. But uh, when it comes down to it, when we start telling stories about golf, it's the Simon Hobday's of the world who mm. always attract the attention because they always did the funniest stuff and the craziest stuff. We must get some more Simon Hobday stories from you too, because there's some rippers out there, aren't there? From uh, <laughs> 
the 80s on the uh, on the European tour. And Christina, I went through, as I mentioned there, I went through your Wikipedia profile. Obviously, I'm familiar with you, but I couldn't have rattled off your resume off the top of my head. Here's something I didn't know about you. You can tell me if this is true. Your first win on the Futures Tour, was that a six-hole playoff victory over Lorena Ochoa? It was. We played the same. It was like a 340-yard uh, par four six times because I don't we never really figured we'd have to play any other hole, I guess. I don't know. We just I think it was a 16th hole. We just played that thing over and over and over and over. And I uh, finally almost jarred my approach shot. And uh, that was, yeah, that was my first win against the great Lorena Ochoa. It might be the only time I have beat her, to be honest. <laughs> well, this was kind of my point. She, of course, went on to be one of the true legends of the game and sadly lost to the game far too early. Uh, for uh, for family reasons, et cetera, et cetera. But what were your memories of her then at that time? Because we can all remember Lorena when she began to dominate the tour. But did you know at that time this might be your only and last chance to get across? Was she obviously that good or did she blossom later? No, you know, I've, I've, uh, I first met her when I was 15 years old. It was my first international tournament. I was an amateur and went down to play the Mexican woman's amateur and uh, Lorena won that year and it turns out it was like the fifth year in a row. It was some sort of, it was a record. And, um, that was really my first introduction to her. And I was just, I was stunned by the way that she played and how gracious and kind she was from the day that I met her. And she's the first person to, to get me a drink while, uh, overseas. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got lots of great memories from Lorena. Yeah, that's a tidbit I never expected uh, never <laughs> expected to pick up when I got out of bed this morning. Shaq, before we grill Christina some more about her career, Mono, you were touching on something earlier. Has there been some sort of announcement that you wanted to uh, to mention to us? The PGA and the LPGA? What's going on, Jeff? Yeah, well, it might be a good segue to kind of uh, pick Christina's brain about just the state of the LPGA Tour and, and the PGA Tour. And it's, I think it's a subject that's of interest to a lot of people if we knew what it was all about. But uh, it just a press release came out today that the tour, the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour has solidified their a strategic alliance or strategic partnership or some jargon like that. And uh, I, I have no idea. I've asked a few people if they know what this is building towards, but it's obviously they're trying to have a coordinated relationship here in the next few years when some TV deals come up and um, I, you know, one of the things that I hear from people all the time is how much they miss the JC Penny classic, how much they tire of the, the, the men, uh, really not doing anything to have an event with the women. And so maybe my hope is that that's what this is building towards. I have a, a dream slash suspicion that it could be Olympic related as well. A lot of people have been really, uh, eager to reimagine the Olympic format after this year. And, and one of the number one things people always mention is why, why couldn't the men and women be playing as teams, a mixed couples, mixed whatever you want to call it event. So uh, that was the gist of the announcement. There were no details whatsoever, but uh, maybe Christina has some thoughts on what, what, they're, uh, what they're up to here. Most definitely. Christina, just some thoughts. It's obviously, it sounds very really bad. Then we're going to talk about the Olympics because that's a really interesting conversation. Well, um, yeah, I honestly, the I know about as much, uh, Jeff probably knows more than <laughs> I do about this, to be honest. I received an email um, before the announcement uh, was, uh, the, the press release was sent out to the media, and it was very vague. It just said that there was going to be an alliance between the LPGA and the PGA Tour and it was kind of vague on, and it, it said you know there's you know the potential for you know a, a, a joint tournament sometime down in the future there's you know potential for us trying to I don't know if um, they said they're going to try and coordinate 
coordinate scheduling better. I don't know if that means as opposed to having, um, you know, competing for the same kind of hours of golf television coverage or if they're going to try and make it whereas, you know, the men are on the East Coast, we're on the West Coast and vice versa. I, I honestly... I have no idea what this mm. what this all means, but there's there's you know great potential for this because um, you know the LPGA has has made some wonderful partnerships with the PGA of America with the huge success of the KPMG uh, Women's PGA, the um, obviously the USGA and everything they've done for the US Women's Open and the Men's US Open and the success they had at Pinehurst a couple of years ago. Um, so I think you know those those kind of alliances have maybe shown the PGA Tour that we're not necessarily you know, it, it's not going to be a, you know like a crazy gamble to to bet on us to actually be able to maybe provide something for the PJ Tour, and obviously they would be able to do some wonderful things to help um, elevate the game on the women's side. Well, if you looked at golf at the professional level, Shaq, the growth area has been women's golf, hasn't it? Mike Wan has, and we'll get your thoughts on Mike at some point, Chris. But he's done an incredible job, hasn't he? And he's what three or four years at the helm, increasing tournaments, getting the LPGA back to where it seemed to be before that whole mess with Carolyn Bivens that sort of took the tour backwards. He's done a fabulous job. And if you're the PGA Tour and you were looking for growth areas of the game, this would be an obvious place to look, wouldn't it, for some or all of those things that Christine has touched on, the possibility of all of those things, wouldn't it? He has. I, I don't – I mean, he took something that had kind of hit rock bottom in terms of the business side and how certain things were done, from, uh, at, at least to the outsiders. Christina might say differently to the players, but I'm, I'm guessing that's generally the view of, of how – he, he Carolyn Bivens left things, and and but obviously he could have made a mess and made it worse, and he didn't. He's made it made things better, and I mean they actually I interviewed him earlier this year, and it's it's kind of incredible that they actually have a, an issue now where you know the the players actually there's going to be weeks Lydia Co doesn't play. They actually have this nice problem of stars um, not being able to play sometimes because there's so many events. Um, but uh, so in that sense, he's done a wonderful job. I think though that. I'm always suspicious of the PGA Tour. Mm -hmm. They are only interested in doing things that will either make them money or on this Olympic front uh, do something that that helps solidify that. And and, and if it's that, I'm really I'm really happy. Uh, I, I did ask him, and he had told me at the time that they're always discussing the idea of bringing back some sort of event. And I guess that's what I'd be curious what Christina thinks. What what is the dream scenario? Is it a bringing back a, a partners event? Or is it a is it a tour event and an LPGA event played at the same course at the same time? And maybe Sunday we have uh, two finishes, or Saturday the women finish and Sunday the men finish. More of like a like we're going to see in tennis here this week uh, with the uh, Paribas Open down in Palm Springs. You know what what do you think is sort of the the dream scenario and if, if they're going to join forces? Uh, well, for me, the number one dream ideal thing would be to obviously get more competitive with our purses compared to the men's. I think that would be, you know, that's, I mean, it's not likely to happen, but, you know, in a perfect scenario, you know, it'd be like the U.S. Open in tennis where the men and women can compete for the same amount of money. But I think that, you know, any of those, any of those, um, you know, ideas that you threw out would be wonderful. You know, I would love to see something like the JC Penney come back out on the LPG tour. It's something that I personally have never experienced where, you know, you can actually play with the guys, you can, you know, interact with them. You can be on the course at the same time with them. Um, you know, whether we're, you know, or even if we're at the same course and, you know, like the Victorian open where you're playing two golf courses at the same venue and just swap each day or, you know, alternating, 
men, women, men, women, you know, one tea time after the other. Um, yeah. I think that they, they would all be wonderful options. I'm, I'm just, I, I would love to see where this partnership is going to go. Um, but you know, I mean, where we're at right now, any of those options would be a dream scenario, to be honest. Mm. Just before we go, Clyde. And, and we can sorry, pencil sorry. you in for a, uh, you want to play with Bubba Watson, right? Just to I'll take Bubba Dickerson over Bubba Watson personally. He's a nice guy. <laughs> well, come yes, on. yes, he is. Got to ask you about how much interaction you get to actually have with some of the male pros around the place. But Clates, first, Christina said the two magic words there, and I think you and I are on board here. The Victorian Open has been an eye-opening event with both the men and the women. For those not familiar, playing uh, at the same venue, the thirty-six hole complex. But on the Sunday. The tee times are alternated. So the last groups are going out to play for the title. Uh, you know, you've got the leading women finish first and the leading men's group finishes after. And it's been an enormous success, hasn't it, Clay? You've catted in it the last couple of years, but it's been an e- extraordinary success at the venue it's at. And it's been surprising that nobody else has picked up on it, which is kind of what the guys are talking about. They're just talking a little bit about the Victorian Open and the success of that event and why it works. Well, it starts off, we play two courses, the, the 13th Beach, the Creek course and the Beach course. Half the men and half the women on one, half, and, and obviously the same on the other course, alternate, and it's alternate groups all week. Okay. So at the end of the tournament, you get two for the price of one, really. The, the women's group comes in, and then the men's 10 minutes behind them. But really with no field, Kari Webb played this year, and you know, Richard Green and a, a few local, you know, a decent local Australian field, but no one famous, but it's in a kind of resorty, sort of beachy town where, the locals who have never seen pro golf just embrace it and love it and come and watch it in terrific numbers and it just has a great feel about it. And the Victorian Open, was a, it's an old event. It started in the 50s and lots of Gary Player, Peter Thompson, Carl Nagel, Greg Norman, uh, lots of tremendous players have won it over the years. But the concept of men and women playing together and, and you know, it just brings more people to watch it. Women don't generally come in great numbers to watch men's golf and vice versa, really. Although the tournament in, in, in Adelaide, Christina, was instructive, I thought, how much better it was in Adelaide than it was in Melbourne, the, the, the Australian Open this year. But the Vic Open's a, a great show of what's possible when men and women play golf together. Can it work, Clates, logistically, if you did have, let's go the drain, you know, Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, Adam Scott, and you know Suzanne Pedersen, Lydia Ko, and Kari Webb and Minji Lee, can it work at that big level? Does part of the Victorian Open success due to the fact that it is a smaller event? It's kind of the big fish in the little pond, isn't it, down there at Thirteenth Beach, and the people come because it's very relaxed and they get to walk the fairways and those. Could it work at that next level? Do you think? Well, it works at Grand Slam tennis level. Why wouldn't it work at golf? I mean, I think it's, you know, it's just more interesting to watch, I think. Mm. You know, it's just more than a regular golf tournament. So, I mean, how many times can you, we just keep serving up 72-hole men's events week after week before everyone just, they just all roll into one? Um, about 10 years ago from my experience, it seems <laughs> that they all sort of rolled into one, frankly. I mean, and that's the truth. But Christina, from the players' side of things, do they like this idea of mixing up? It seems to me that, professional golfers especially, are very attached to the notion of 72-hole stroke play being the only credible way to define the best golfer on that week. Is that true? Do you think that attitude does prevail? And is that perhaps where a lot of the issue is with playing different formats? I obviously can't speak on behalf of the men, but... You know, I think a lot of it is just that it's all we've known. And, you know, golfers inherently are terrible 
terrified of change. Obviously, any athlete that is at the elite level understands that, um, you know, there, there are certain steps you have to take in order to get to that top echelon of competition. But I feel like with golf, we're extra superstitious. You know, I mean, I have the same ball marker that I've used for the last 18 months. And if I if I don't travel with it, my mother ships it overnight to my next tournament. Um, yeah, I can't have anything in my left front pocket. I have to do this. I mean, there, I, I, oh, I'm, I'm absolutely bonkers. But I'd like to think I'm one of the quote unquote more progressive players. <laughs> but um, I think that a lot of it is it's just, you know, there you're scared to try something new. You know, obviously, I mean, I was not the hugest, uh, I, I did because I was scared and I didn't know what was going to come of the 2014, uh, us men's and women's open coming back to back weeks. I wasn't exactly a huge supporter of it because I was terrified of the idea of, you know, the, the ladies playing after the men and we're just going to play on a cow pasture, which would be a huge disservice to the women and a huge disservice to Pinehurst number two. And though I didn't compete that year, as it turns out, I was completely wrong, you know, and, and not knowing the, the possible outcome, I think is one thing that holds people back. But, you know, I mean, 10 years ago, a lot of the LPGA tour events were still 54 hole events, you know, where like, like in tennis where the men would play to you know five sets and women would play three sets um you know we we kind of scaled it back that way but i think you know now i'm i'm very open to you know what what's what's the worst that can happen we try it once we don't like it well we don't have to do it again you know it's 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 like you know in, in any relationship any partnership in marriage you know honey do you want to try this tonight no we did we that didn't work we don't have to touch on that again You've, uh, you've obviously had a camera on the wall here at our house. I'm big on the nose. <laughs> We're not trying anything Rod, new. One, <laughs> Chat. Rod, one of the big issues is the men have a very full schedule, and they are very caught up and take themselves very seriously about their money list and their qualifying. And this is a group of people who are out there to make a living, and we fans are kind of an afterthought. And so they have an attitude that having a mixed couples event or having something that breaks up their what they view as just is, is strictly a job uh, is really not something that excites them. They, they, are, they forget they're in the entertainment business and sports is entertainment. And for the fan, it would be a lot more entertaining on occasion to have some different formats. And in this in the case we're discussing, Either a, a mixed couples event, an event where where there's there's two fields competing, a la tennis, uh, and we get to contrast just how the players are tackling the courses or whatever it is. But I think they're the probably more the problem, uh, definitely the problem than than the LPGA Tour would be. So maybe this is a, a first step at trying to remedy that. Well, it's terrible, isn't it? I hope. But of course, my very first reaction when you mentioned that this press release had gone out talking about some sort of alliance, my very first reaction is, what do the PGA Tour think is in it for them? Because that is kind of how they operate, and isn't it? That is their default that, position. It is, and that's fine. If that if that allows them to do some things that are positive for for women's golf and the LPGA Tour, I'm I'm fine with that. I I, you know, I think the other big issue is television and people's frustration with. Mike Wan and whoever in the channel that the LPGA Tour does have some different days that it finishes to get their finishes and their uh, final rounds more attention instead of being lost on a Sunday when there's a lot going on certain weeks of the year when it's not just golf there's a lot going on but 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 other sports and you know Wan 
is, is very open about this that he would he would love to welcome all those ideas and but ultimately for his players and his sponsors and fans ending on Sunday is still very convenient and so maybe this will will uh, create some ways to reimagine how to get uh, um, different days to finish so I, I don't know I, I, I'm just curious uh, Christina what y- your thoughts are on Juan in general is has he is, is he deserving of all the praise that a lot of the media gives him well Mike is I think Mike is awesome he is very direct he He's very honest. Um, you know, he any t- any sort of question that I have regarding the state of the tour, the state of the game, what he's thinking, he's very honest with me. And uh, I actually remember that the, I was on the board of directors when um, the whole everything went down with, you know, Carolyn Bivens, who, Ooh, in my opinion, <laughs> she had a beautiful vision for what she wanted for the LPJ tour. But, you know, it's not about right or wrong, but there is golf is golf is still a man's world very much and so is the business side of it and so i think having this sort of bullish woman coming and saying we need more money we need you to pay for this we need you to do this we need you to do that really turned off a lot of sponsors and a lot of tournament directors just because it's not again it's not how things had been done so what she had envisioned for the LPJ tour was wonderful she just wasn't the right person to execute it um and so when mike was uh voted in i was actually playing a tournament in korea and i got you know it was like 2:30 in the morning and i got a i got a phone call and it was this random phone like to uh, a, a phone number that i think at the time was from los angeles and i, I didn't pick up cuz i'm like what is uh, what is going on and the phone number texted me and said, can you please call me? And I was like, who the hell is this? <laughs> Stalker. And he was like, "We need this is important. We need to talk. I'm like, I don't have you saved in my phone. And I have about 42% of the world's population saved in my phone. So I don't know who you are. We're not talking. Like, what the hell do you want? He said, my name's Mike Wan. I'm your new commissioner. So I dialed. I was like, oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> he's, and he, he's always been very forward, very, you know, he's, he's very transparent and he's very, um, you know, forthcoming with information. You know, he doesn't like, you know, keeping any, any, any ideas or any thoughts or any information in his back pocket. He loves communicating with everyone on the LPGA tour at every level, whether it's the staff, the players, the sponsors to see what can be done to make the game better, what can be done to make the LPGA better. So I think he's been a wonderful, wonderful asset to the LPGA. And and he's, you know, like you were saying earlier, Jeff, there's we're at a we're in a position now where it's like, you know, Mike is pretty close to saying, you know, we don't want too many more tournaments. You know, we we went from having twenty seven events yeah. on the schedule and I think um in two thousand and twelve for 13 rookies were only getting to play 12 tournaments a year because so many of them were, you know, like overseas events that were, you know, limited field and this and that, you know, excluding the majors. And now the players are getting, you know, more than 20, 20 events a year, um, you know, straight off the bat as soon as you get your card from Q school. So he's done a wonderful job with the tour and it'll be, it'll be great to see where he's able to take not just the tour, but the game itself. There's loads of knock-on effects from all those things, isn't there? As you say, young players then getting the opportunity to play enough events each year to keep a card and start to build a career because, of course, one of the great problems with professional golf is just getting access to the tours. It's difficult as it should be, but it was probably more difficult than it should have been on the LPGA for a while. Just to go back to the men's thing for a minute, Christina, do you get much chance to to meet, play with or interact with many of the guys from the PGA Tour or elsewhere around the place? What sort of attitudes do you find with them? I wonder whether their attitudes are different when they're around you than perhaps when they're just among themselves, but what's the feeling you get 
from your male counterparts about golf? Well, you know, I don't get too many opportunities to play because obviously with the two tours being, um, you know, currently competing markets, you know, obviously when the men are on the West Coast, we're on the East Coast. And, you know, when the guys are here in Florida, we're over in Asia. Um, so, you know, the only times I ever get a chance to, to really meet up with any of the guys is, you know, if I go to a PJ tour event or, you know, say our tournament in Phoenix, there's actually Bubba Watson did come out and, and, and follow uh, a couple of girls several, 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 many, many years ago, actually, well before he was <laughs> Bubba, but he did come out, you know, yeah. he, he did come out and he followed, which I thought was really cool at the time. And, um, you know, so I don't get that many interactions with the guys, you know, the, the, for me, you know, the, the the coolest thing that I've been able to come across was I had dinner with Lee Westwood and Rory McIlroy a couple of years ago. And, you know, they all drove off in a minivan, which I thought was hysterical. And they had to put the uh, the child seat up for Rory because he was I don't even know if he was he was barely old enough to drink at the time. Um, so I thought that was really cool. But, you know, the guys, I don't get many opportunities to play play with them. And, um, I don't know if it's, it's, it's a fault of my own, but I actually get more starstruck around the men on the PJ tour than I do. I've got several friends in television and several friends that are rock stars. And, you know, the, the, the guys on the PJ tour, like I, I, I like, I'll throw my underpants. Like if I see, you know, a couple of them, I'm, I go crazy. Now, there's so a I don't know. I have a pretty yeah, warped view of it. Oh. There's a sight <laughs> the world's way to see that standing yeah. stuff. Clates, you might have been in danger down there when you had dinner with Christina. Oh, yeah, please. Uh, dear, oh, dear. Um, why do you think that but, is, Christina? You know, the thing. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I want to know why that is because then you meet them and a lot of them tend to be <laughs> kind of dull. You meet a lot of the women on the LPGA tour and they end up being way more interesting, complex and interesting and deep and, and thoughtful. Uh, whereas you go talk to the tour guys and they put you to sleep. Not all of them, but, but see, a lot you know, I, I have been really lucky. I haven't had that um, sort of. Of you know the, that any terrible experiences. You know, obviously, I've 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 been able to go out with dinner to dinner with Lee and Rory, and um, you know, I, I was able to go out and play around a couple rounds of golf with Brian Davis from, from England, who I, you know, I I always you know I admired his game, um, but when I actually got to play with him, he was like the coolest guy on earth. You know, he seemed very, you know, when you see him on TV, you, he seems you know a little bit more on the vanilla side and just you know kind of kind of kind of reserved but he was a he was a riot i i don't know maybe it's hmm. i i these guys maybe it was guys the are, i think the guys are much cooler no we were sober as ha we had <laughs> okay we actually had breakfast at the perkins um oh, over okay. here in oh. orlando the the famous oh, perkins. On breakfast yeah uh, dear idea <laughs> um, but no, it was, I don't know why it is. I just, you know, I grew up obviously watching, um, the men play on tour and, and just seeing what they're able to do to the golf ball that I can't, it's something that I cannot fathom. You know, I would love to be able to hit a 320 yards on average, as opposed to only in certain cities where the elevation is over 7,000 feet. Um, you know, it's just, it's just, it's the, they, they turn, they change golf for me because because it's 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 a, it's a different type of art that they do versus what the women do. And there's a discussion to be had about how much more or less interesting that might be, which we won't get yeah, into. Yeah, you don't want to go there. Yeah, we, don't, don't start talking about yardages, Christina. We'll get <laughs> go off on a tangent. That that uh, Clates, in your experience, what's been the attitude of men towards women's golf generally amongst the professionals? You're clearly a very open-minded guy. I mean, you you know you're fifty something years old, and you happily go on caddy for Suo, who's only 19, so I think that sort of uh, t tells tells people what your stance and opinion about the game might be. But is there an issue 
with men's guys? Is there a lack of respect? Do you think? Could you make a general statement about attitudes of male professionals towards the women's game? No, Please don't ruin it for no, me. No, 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 no. <laughs> not to... No, I no. I don't know. I, I'm not sure what their attitude is towards it. Whether they pay any attention to it at all, or they pay a lot of attention to it, or I mean, I'm just always a geeky golf guy who was just interested in anything golf. So when I was a kid, I remember the women came out and played uh, the Colgate Tournament of Victoria, which Pat Bradley won one of them. And I remember I carried for a woman called Jocelyn Barassa, Canadian player. And she played a practice round with Ruth Jessen and Joanne Carter. And I just love watching kind of, I mean, to me, they were megastars. I mean, they were famous people. I, I didn't care who I was watching play or just people. I was interested in watching people who played golf well, but I'm not sure, you know, Phil Mickelson is particularly interested in women's golf. I don't know. He may love it and may watch it all the time or he may have zero interest in it at all. But in my interest is just, I just like watching people play golf well, mm. no matter who they are. Yeah, that, and but, Joanne Carnell was amazing. I saw her playing a Legends Tour event at Concord about oh, maybe 10 years ago, Clates. And even then, she was into her 60s and she was an extraordinary ball striker and, and golfer. Yeah. Quite amazing. Yeah. So, um, terrific stuff. We went away from it. We mentioned the Olympics very early on, Christina. Adam Scott has been a proponent. Well, he's been a – he's not anti the Olympics. He's anti the format that golf has chosen for the Olympics, and he's stated quite publicly. Oh, he's anti the Olympics. Oh, he's anti. Oh, come on. You yeah. think he's anti the Olympics? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah oh, he yes. is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm going I'm to play devil's advocate here because I sat in the press conference where he was anti-Olympics, and what he said was that it's not really <laughs> – of interest to him, but he thinks it's a missed opportunity that they could have had, and he he specifically said they could have had men and women playing together, and that would have made it more interesting. Whether he would have been interested in it, then I don't know. What about that notion, Christina, about just the Olympics? It seems to me that more of the world's top women players are extremely keen to be a part of the Olympics than most of the world's top men. A lot of the guys pay lip service to it. Scott's been very public in not being one of them. But there gen- seems to be a far more genuine interest amongst women in the Olympics. Is that true? Uh, why do you think that is? And would men and women playing together be a better thing for the Olympics? There you go. You got um, first off, I think men and women playing together would have made it a better format. Um, you know, I, I honestly, I, I'm, I'm of Korean descent and American born, so I'm screwed either way. I mean, the, the, the Olympics <laughs> might luck. not even, might, they may as well not even exist for me. I Take mean, up I, citizenship I out be, here, Christina. You'll get a start I have to be for like, sure. <laughs> I got to move up like I got to be in the top eight in the world to even be considered essentially at this point. But I think that, um, you know, I I think it would have been great to have, again, you know, something that's more integrated with the men and the women. I I think it's stupid that you have men playing. They take over the entire course for the first week and the women in the second week. What? I, part of the experience of the Olympics is to have the, the the opportunity to go to the opening ceremonies as well as partake in the closing ceremonies. I mean, I, it's the Olympics is something that I had always loved watching as a kid, whether it was the Winter or Summer Olympics. And um, you know, and people are probably gonna are, are probably gonna hang me for saying this, but I don't know where golf fits in there. Mm. You know, it, it's it's and and also just the qualification is really. You know, it's you're only going to have I mean, how many of the top 15 are you're only going to have, you know, like nine of the top 15 at most on the women's side in the Olympics because, you you know, you're going to have a maximum of four and they have to be in the top 25. You have to have, you know, there's there's this, there's that you're going to have someone, you know, there's 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 a girl, um, a wonderful girl. I mean, I'm I'm a friend. I'm I'm friend with her Maria Balakoeva, you know, beautiful, tall, six foot Russian girl. That's, you know, she's in the Olympics. I don't even know. I mean, she can't be ranked 
ranked in the top 300 in the world, but she's yeah. part of Russia. So she's in, um, you know, Leticia Beck, who is a promising, very promising young um, player. You know, she was born and raised in Israel and, and went to college at uh, Duke University. So a very good player, but automatically granted a birth into the Olympics. And, and it's I understand it on, 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 on the end where you want to make sure, you know, all the countries are represented. But at the same time. Who who are you catering to? You know, are you catering to the game or are you catering to the politics of it all? So it's just, yeah, I, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's not something yeah, I'm I'm the, personally going to, you know, be a part of ever, yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, well, you are, as you point out, you are kind of toast when it comes to that. I mean, and I have seen the, the Korean women complaining and I, I also don't really sympathize with their plight. I mean, they, they have to cut it off at some point on how many people represent a country but christina you're a an imaginative golfer let me let me ask you this stroke play is stupid and boring and individual play <laughs> is boring but you've watched i'm sure a lot of olympic uh, athletics uh, competitions and i think one of the the great joys of the olympics are, are, are when you get countries involved and you have this head-to-head sort of combat between athletes and so match play immediately comes to mind as golf's version of of the way to bring that to the olympics now I personally think the long drive should be in the Olympics, so I'm really weird. But just, just what about if we brought back match play? Either it's, it's. Um, uh, personally, I've always thought better ball partners match play would be really fun. Men and women, men men, women women, whatever. And just, just to throw in a little whiff of of the love of uh, that people all have for curling in the Olympics, we bring back the stymie. Oh no! Nice. Now, are you familiar with how the stymie works? <laughs> Oh, now, we're out, we're out on a limb here. And I, this is fantastic. And Ty Votaw is listening to this show going, see, that's what the IOC just, that's the last thing in the world they want. But uh, because they do want an event that is, uh, that is similar to a format that's used in other championship competition. But that would bring back uh, once, first of all, you'd have a partner component where you might be strategizing how to play a golf hole, but then you'd also be strategizing perhaps sometimes how to stymie the other person's opponent and then the other person makes their birdie putt or something like that. Could golfers handle that? Could would, would the world of golf, is it just too anti-confrontation to, I mean, because it really doesn't even like match play, just classic match play. Yeah, I don't, um, yeah, I, I haven't played stymie since I was like 16 well, years old wearing golf sandals. Probably on the putting. Um, yeah. yeah, so I, I you know, I, I don't think golf could go back to that personally, just because, like you said, no one wants confrontation. You know, everyone's going to get butt hurt and take things personally. Um, yep. Yeah, at least on the lady side, I would think, you know, exactly. like they would just, you know, I don't I think it'd be I mean, that it does sound fun, but I don't know. I understand what you're saying about the strategizing of 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 how you play, whether, you know, um, you know, it's, it's almost like you're willing to take a dive in order, you know, you're, you're willing to, you know, potentially lose two strokes if the player that you're trying to screw over actually ends up making their putt anyway. Um, you know, so it's like the ultimate sort of, you know, uh, risk reward or sacrifice, but I, you know, I'm all about, you know, I would, I would think something like, you know, minimum two players from, you know, whatever, you know, however many countries. I like that idea. And I like the idea of of match play. And I wouldn't be opposed to, you know, like alternate shot match play, you know, something that mm-hmm. really brings in both players. Because, um, yeah. you know, through my experience on this on the Solheim Cup, you know, alternate shot is 
is no matter how many times you play, it is terrifying, mm. you know, and then, you know, cause, cause stroke play, you know, I mean, it's, it is scary and every shot does count, but it's, again, it's on you, you know, you're not necessarily yeah. getting that team aspect, you know, whereas, um, with alternate shot or, or, um, you know, best ball, you know, you, ha- you, you have a partner, you have someone that's relying on you. And, and, you know, when you go to the Olympics, even if it's in individual sport, you have your team, you have, you know, the entire track team, let's say the entire gymnastics team. And on top of that, on top of their shoulders is the entire country. Whereas, you know, with s- traditional yeah. stroke play, you're just, you're just, you're just playing golf, you know, it, it, that's one reason why I'm not, yeah. And that's one reason why I'm not a huge supporter of golf in the Olympics, the way it is right now. If it's, you know, I like the idea of something dynamic, you know, I don't know if I would go as extreme as Stiney, but you know, I mean, I'd be cool with contact golf, you know, I mean, really <laughs> showcase, you know, your, your, your brawn and oh, your you're making physical me look abilities. good now. Yes. Uh, You're making my idea look old and s- traditional and that's right. stuffy. <laughs> no, it's not traditional. No, not at all. It's just, terrifying oh no my idea no that's no i'm saying yours is oh no i think contact golf something that i've been thinking up for like the last 10 years i'm like thinking like no pads you know like ball has to keep (laughs) moving i've actually thought 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 this thing through um but you know just the the styming it's just it's almost got that personal element to it where it's you know if it if it's contact golf it's just like bitch get out of my way you know like as opposed to you know i'm gonna get in your way and i'm gonna you know it's like, I don't know. Let's back up. You said you've thought of that. Explain to me how contact golf yeah. works from yeah. the you first need to take tee. A contact golf. Yeah. Well, it's, I haven't, I haven't got it like a perfect plan, but it'd be one ball. Okay. You got, you got one ball, you got one club, no pads and obviously like no ch- cheap shots, but it's, it's, um, you know, I, and that's the thing. It's because it's, it's, it's the opposite of golf in the sense of like, you know, is it how, you know, the last man standing or is it going to be, you know, who actually is able to make contact with the ball the most, you know, whereas, you know, cause golf is, it's all about, you know, trying to eliminate the amount of shots that you hit into a hole. I don't know. It's just, I, I, it's something I thought about when I was like pissed off at a couple players. Yeah, yeah. You've, <laughs> I just right. thought how I'd like to take yeah. them down. <laughs> Oh, that's uh, that's come to you on the seventh tee somewhere when you're into your third <laughs> hour already because somebody's uh, somebody's sort of taking their time. You mentioned the Solheim Cup there just to finish up on this Olympic thing, and I suppose the most compelling golf we see every year is either the Ryder or Solheim Cup, and I think it's because it's a team event played for something important. The President's Cup's not there yet because it's not important yet. It, the last one was compelling golf, but it's not quite got the energy that we see at the Ryder Cup and the Solheim Cup. I wonder, Jeff, why the authorities couldn't see the potential for that because the Olympics sets up for that perfectly, doesn't it? Some sort of a match play where you're playing as a team for something important. Surely that's oh, the biggest very, missed opportunity. Yeah. No, the reason is very simple. They, they were thinking of this as a grow the game initiative around the world. And so to try and have teams larger than two people would have, would have kind of stymied that. Um, that effort that would have made that very tough, but uh, and I understand that. I think it's noble that they want to do that, um, but it's also important that to grow the game around the world, people have to what they have to watch has to be interesting and and exactly. have to make people say, "Oh wow, what a complicated, fascinating sport!" I mean, look how people have embraced curling or look at beach volleyball. You know, yeah, it's a lot of it's just that there's there's naked people out there and people like to look at that. But there, you realize as you watch beach volleyball, it's a great sport, and there are these great dynamics between the teams. And then when the when the when a team is kind of turning on one another and there's some drama, that's what people love about the Olympics and why golf. Yeah. 
is avoiding the the team component and then can you imagine the fun of not only putting two people together who are used to playing as individuals now as a team or a male and a female all the dynamics involved there is just fascinating but as we've alluded to golf tends to be very uh conservative and uncomfortable with showcasing that part of the game and i think that's uh sad and then also with, when you mentioned the stymie, the element of gamesmanship scares people. And, and you mentioned the Solheim Cup, and we have to ask Christina about that because mm. uh, I think I, the more I thought about the Suzanne Pedersen thing and, and, and in the context of the Olympics and all that and everything that happened there, look how, look how golfers reacted to just a little bit of gamesmanship that went a little bit awry. I mean, and it, it it threatened to just completely ruin her life. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It was, you know, she just just being a you know just just gamesmanship, right, Christina? I don't agree. It was gamesmanship. Personally, it was okay. Well, you know her better than we do, so <laughs> well. And, and that's the thing. I'm friends with both Allison and Suzanne. Um, you know, Suzanne was not off the green. She was just well out of the way and out of the camera shot. And I don't know what I mean, Allison. She didn't. She didn't make the bottom line. She didn't make the putt. You know. I mean, that's honestly that's what it comes down to. She didn't yeah. make the putt, and so she had a brain fart mm-hmm. because yeah. the context, the, the actual rule states. You know what? You can't. You, you ha- I mean, I've never. I've. I've. I've never come across that. You know. I've never. You know, the closest thing I've come to gamesmanship was giving people putts early in the round and making them a putt, making them putt later. You know, I I, I never. So that's I, I, Okay. Yeah, well, that's what <laughs> that's what I was taught. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, you know. That's but, right. You know, it's it, it's very simple. I mean, I, I hate I hate to sound. I'm not siding with either side because you know, depending on how you see it, whether it was a letter of the law or the spirit of the game, they both kind of they you know they on I you know they yeah. You know, but bottom line, uh, Allison should have made the putt. Or my first thought, if I miss a putt, is to always look up. Mm. That's it. And I, I understand. Mm. I understand. It was her first. It was her first Solheim Cup. And you know, um, although she's played like eighty-five junior, you know, junior Solheim Cups, like yeah. every Curtis Cup since she was like <laughs> six. Um, so I feel bad yeah. for not having as much sympathy um, as as. A lot of people do, but when it comes down to it, it's match play. You have to be on top of it because it's not its not one round of golf. It is not even 18 little matches. Every shot is essentially a match. And so every shot is the most important shot that is in front of you. So I would have, as soon as I miss, if I was out, as soon as I missed that putt, I would have either like, Obviously, I would have probably like sat on the floor and like thrown a little bit of a tantrum <laughs> because you know I yeah. I missed the putt. But number one, first and foremost, you always have to look up, you know. Um, but there's you know there have been controversies like like that over the years. You know the whole Annika situation years ago, and you know I I Jeez. well I had an issue with Annika um, my my first Solheim Cup. You know I I had a putt on the eleventh hole at Crooked Stick that was I was probably seventeen feet and Annika was like four feet and she was on the same line and i missed the putt she made the putt she came up to me and was like hey thanks for the read oh. and yeah i so i had to go i went to the porta potty and punched and kicked for about 45 seconds and then my partner pat hers was like you okay i'm like yeah i'm good but you know 
that was for me. I mean, so I have very little, you know, I, I, I don't have much sympathy when people talk about the spirit of the game, because at the end of the day, it's the letter of the law that, that counts more than anything. That's, um, that's unexpected, I would have thought, from Annika, Christina. I mean, I wouldn't, have expected, that. I wouldn't have expected she that from is her. Rude. She was ruthless in Solheim Cup. Like, she, you know, everyone thought she was, you know, so so quiet and yeah. so reserved and, and like, you know, <laughs> uh, like uncomfortably shy. No, she relished. She loved that kind of stuff. She was very... You know, um, people, you know, because, you know, a lot of people would think it's it's the quote unquote Nordic or Scandinavian sort of aloofness or, or coldness. She's a very, very passionate, passionate woman. And mm. I know how much she loves, you know, and, and, but again, it just shows how important match play can be for the game of golf. You know, I, I that's one reason why I think match play should be brought back, you know, more than zero times a year on the LPJ tour. <laughs> Well, the problem, of course, yeah. is television, isn't it, Shaq? The television fear, and it happens yep. all too often with match players, that you don't get two marquee names at the end of it, and then nobody's interested in watching it on TV, and then golf just goes yeah. and dies. That's the problem. And I, I absolutely is- understand that, but at the end, you know, I don't – you know, maybe it's something that the, the U.S. could do more in um, – at the amateur level, you know, because there are so many, like – all throughout Europe, like a lot of the one reason why the the European teams on both the Solheim and Ryder Cups have been quote unquote more there's been more camaraderie they've come more prepared whatever it is you want to say they play alternate shot they play best ball all the time you know in America it's always about you and your golf ball and your game um, you know whereas in 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 other parts of you know like in Europe they they like to share their golf a little bit more you know people they ask each you know what are you thinking over this shot or how would you play this shot or you know let's you know let's let's go play nine holes and do alternate shot because it's fun you know it's you don't have to put your score down you know and you don't have to put it into the computer after every single round you know you do you should but yeah. <laughs> well let's not get started down there tell me some more about the Solheim Cup Christina pretty important stuff was the Ryder Cup for men anybody even outside of golf knows how important it is tell me a bit about your experiences and some of those Moments that we might not be aware of that have ha- that happen at Solheim Cup, which is m- what makes it what it is. Because that Pedersen thing, I think, really touched a nerve last year about just how seriously people can start to take it, even though nobody could name anybody who won a singles match in the Ryder or Solheim Cups in the last five years, if you ask them. <laughs> uh, but the overall event itself is important. So tell me what it was like to play in that, be part of that. It's, you know, I mean, I, the only way I can describe it is, you know, bottom of the ninth, game seven of the World Series or, you know, the final of the you know rugby world cup or um you know something like that it really does the solheim cup amplified golf for me it completely transformed the game because because i was introduced to this team aspect i had um you know my first solheim cup i was lucky enough to have nancy lopez as my captain donna caponi as her assistant captain i had meg mallon beth daniel julie inkster on my team it was it was just this amazing group of women that at, you know, I was 21 years old at the time, I think was just, you know, you would, you never, I would never have gotten the opportunity to just go and spend a week, play golf and hang out with those women um, the way that I did, you know, and it's just, it's small things like all the dinners you go to together and everyone shares these incredible stories about Solheim Cups past and, um, you know, just, just being able to, to, Sometimes it's nice to have someone to lean on and say, oh, my God, I just snap hook that in the water. And your partner will come up to you and be like, dude, this is great. I'm going to hold out from 260 yards for my third and we're going to make birdie and walk off. You know, like like having and having someone that has, you know, um, 
you know, someone that you can have confidence in and someone that has confidence in you, it just, it just changes the game, you know, cause you know, golf, we take it so seriously, you know, and, and it's, it's the Solheim cup is very intense, but it's not exactly serious in the way of it being life or death when it comes to the, um, partners because you have someone to lean on, you know, whereas you never do, um, you know, when you're walking down the 72nd hole in a major championship or, or, or in any tour event where you've, you know, got the lead or you're tied for the lead or what have you, the only person you can lean on is your caddy. And, and as, as wonderful as that is, you know, it's, it's great to be able to say, you know, I've got three people that I can lean on if I, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm scared, like I, you know, I knew that if I was, if, if my, if somehow an alligator came and bit my leg off, Pat Hurst was going to drag my ass to the next shot and, and help me to hit it the best she can. And you don't get that in, in stroke play, you know, cause everyone's, you know, everyone's about me, 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 me. And, and, um, you know, there are a couple players that, you know, one who's, who's already, uh, stepped away from playing and she was as opposed to thinking let's all play our best and see where the where the score stack up she wanted to play her best she wanted you to play your worst and she wanted to beat you that way you know and so it's it's nice to have that kind of um really that i guess it's teamsmanship because you never get that in golf um oh gee i'm not going to touch that i really want to name oh uh, it was dotty pepper oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, good. I'm glad. I'm that's glad. okay. See, but that's how, that's the kind of competitor she was, yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. Still is. She even yeah. You know, she's she's still competitive. I suspect she's been terrific. A terrific addition Absolutely. to CBS, by the way. Uh, I think more so than I necessarily thought of it. We'll, we'll get to a couple of other things uh, shortly. I know that uh, Clates has got something he particularly wants to talk about. And speaking of Clates, how did you come across Clates in Adelaide, and um, how did you find that? It's a different experience discovering Mike Clayton, isn't it? Yeah, I was. Or, I'm sorry. You're talking to me or Michael? Yes, no, to you. Clayton knows yeah, what it's sorry, like to discover him, but most of us who first encounter Clayton aren't necessarily sure how to take him at first. Um. Well, you know, I I I I knew who Michael Clayton was because we have a mutual friend in um a, a man that caddies on the LPGA tour for uh, Soyeon Rue. His name is Tom Watson. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not the Tom no, Watson. He's been on the show. He he's. I'm sorry. He's been on this show, Tom. Oh yeah, he's he's. And he's the greatest. He's um he's he's a wonderful wonderful guy and and uh, so I knew I knew who Michael was um because he's he's known Tom since day he was born and um you know obviously I, I knew I knew who Michael was because there's he's he's a he's a very famous putter um but I uh, I actually had um a gentleman that was a member at the Grange Golf Club um who was hosting the, the Australian Women's Open obviously. Um, catting for me and he said hey I was like you know let's go out and play and he was like do you have anyone that you want to play with and I'm like no I just want to go out and play you know it's it's Monday it's early in the week I just want to see what's 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 what and so um, we're walking up to the first tee and I've obviously this guy's a member so he's not like a professional caddy and he's he's got the golf bag on backwards so he's got you know the club sticking out behind his head looking like Robin Hood and and we walk up to the first tee and and Michael's there with uh Sue O, um, who, who I have known for a couple of years and Michael just starts yelling at him because he's not wearing the bat properly. <laughs> and I, and, and I was just like, Oh, I was, I was, I was actually kind of, I was, I was a little upset with Michael because my phone was in my golf bag and I was trying to get to my golf bag to take a photo of the guy. <laughs> but Michael told him to, he said, you're, 
you're an absolute disgrace and you, you cannot caddy in this group if you're going to carry the bag like that. So he's a little bit of a buzzkill that way. But um, no, it was it was the coolest experience because it was obviously a course that, that Michael had redesigned. And like every single hole I went up to him, I said, this is maybe the best golf hole I've ever seen. And I would say, you know, I asked him, you know, is this the kind of golf course where, you know, you need to favor a draw more or a fade more or, you know, this or that. And he's like, no, you just need to hit the golf ball good. <laughs> And I was like, ah, crap. <laughs> classic, classic clates there, Christina Clates. I know there's something you wanted to ask Christina about, which you, it's been a topic of yours for a while, hasn't it? And that's the dominance of Korean women in the game. I, know, I was just interested on Christina's take on, since say we pack how Korean women have done so well. You've got probably some insight with your parentage, I guess. But um, what's your view of why they've really taken over, for want of a better word, the top of the game? I mean, obviously Lydia Ko's. Uh, a New Zealander, I suppose, you, but with Korean parentage, but you know, and some terrific American players, Lexi Thompson, Jessica Cordeman, shall we? But the Koreans have been incredibly dominant, really, the last decade. I would say. Do you have a opinion on why that's happened or how, how that's happened? Absolutely. You know, we can all blame Sari Pack for this. <laughs> right. um, but no, she. You know, she. Uh, uh, for the most part, Korean people are. Um, more on the demure side they're they're not necessarily confident they 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 hate to break away from their shell but you know they've been obsessed with golf for like the last you know 30 years or so but um siri pack really she she showed everyone that hey korean women can play and she must have I don't know if something there was something in the water or whatever, but she must have triggered every single Korean man that had a daughter who was under the age of 50. And 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 he must have thought my daughter can win on the LPGA Tour and she can win the U.S. Open and she could be the next Sari Pack. And so um, in droves, Sari inspired lots and lots of Korean men to bring their daughters to the driving range and um, – Basically, there are, I, I, I know of a, several players out there that, that were dropped off at the range at age 12 when they showed an ounce of talent and um, basically didn't go to school. They spent all day, every day on the driving range. And because Koreans um, tend to be more subservient and obey their parents and aren't necessarily known for being, you know, rebellious, hellion teenagers, um, you know, they, they would get dropped off on the range and they would hit their thousand balls a day. And, um, you know, a lot of it is is the work ethic and a lot of it is just the mindset of the Korean people. And honestly, I, my personal opinion is that there, there's always going to be like a touch of fear um, of what the parents are going to do if I don't play good, if I don't um, hit enough golf balls, if I don't make enough putts in my practice, um, you know, that, that really kind of inspired the sort of revolution of, of, of women golfers from Korea. Um, but honestly, it's just, they just throw their kids on the range and drive away and pick them up, you know, when it's time for dinner. You've obviously got an interesting insight, Christina, because you're across two cultures, as you said, born in America, Korean parents. So you're, you know, your understanding or knowledge of Korean culture and American culture, I'm assuming is roughly equivalent based on what you've just said there. So taking all that into account, uh, is that healthy? Is it a good thing? And is it is it simply down to cultural differences? I mean, cultures are all different, aren't they? People around the world have different um, ways of growing up and and different things are normal in different countries. But what's your take on sort of the sense that is that a sustainable and a healthy thing for people and for golf if that system is 
for want of a better term, is going to prevail? Um, you know, that's a good question. I, I really, I don't know. I, I know that, um, you know, the, the majority of players, you know, they, they are introduced to the game and initially play and are, you know, they're, they're afraid of their parents because, you know, parents are adults and adults are terrifying and this and that. But the majority of players I know have been able to get past that initial fear and have learned to love the game themselves. Um, I don't necessarily know if, you know, having all of these, you know, golf academies, all, you know, I, I know a lot of the girls go down to Malaysia, Thailand, Australia, during the winter time, so they never really get any true downtime, um, you know. But I, I don't know. I, I, I really, I don't, I don't really know if I have an opinion on that because it's something that you know, as an American-born Korean, I, I experienced a bit of that. You know, when I was a kid, I, I mean, I didn't get like thrown on the range, but I would, you know, I'd, I'd run home from school, and be like, "Can we go hit some golf balls?" Um, and I'd hit balls for like three, four hours a day because, you know, I, 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 I did. I, I did learn to love the game, um, you know, and, and I, I thrived on on being able to, you know, learn different shots. And, and instead of just pounding balls, you know, trying to hit, you know, like like, you know, like a 20 yard cut with a pitching wedge and, and, and you know, this and that and trying to learn the artistry of it. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I be- I'm a firm believer that parents should push their kids initially because, when you're a kid, you don't know a damn thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think that the, you know, instead of, um, encouragement, I'm all about pushing because my parents pushed me initially and, and I'm thankful for it, you know, because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know shit when I was a kid, you know? So, um, when, um, I was introduced to the game and learned to love it, then I was able to push myself and, and it's something that I, I still, um, um, do to myself, you know, when I'm, I'm, I'm out playing on, on the, on the golf course every day. So I don't really know how to answer that. I don't know how sustainable it is, but you know, sometimes I don't know with, 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 with mastery does you have to experience pain in order to, to reach that threshold, I guess. Mm. Of course, one of the, the main thing kids don't know, Christina, is that they don't know anything. And the problem of course, is they won't listen to you when you tell them that. So that's why what, what was that? I said, one of the, the main thing kids don't know is that they don't know anything. That's their biggest don't know. They don't realise that they're clueless about the world and everything at that stage. What was your introduction to the game? How did you come to golf? Um, I Sorry, I was trying to make a joke when you said they don't listen. Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> See, sorry. I'm old. I don't get jokes anymore. There's no time for that. The world's a serious place. So is golf. Um, well, my father introduced me to the game. You know, he I, I grew up um, in a household where, you know, it was like every Saturday morning, you know, we were we weren't playing or we weren't at school. So, you know, I'd wake up to the smell of like whether it was like, I guess you guys would call them flapjacks. We call them pancakes or, you know, this, that you, you know, have this nice warm breakfast. Never watch Saturday morning cartoons. And then when I was about nine or 10 years old, it kind of of disappeared like I'd, I'd wake up in the morning and my parents would have disappeared and I have no I would have no idea where they were so I'd be there you know eating like my cold cereal with my brother and sister I have no idea what happened to our household and I learned that my dad had picked up a game of golf um, he was always a, a very very avid um, athlete he played lots of uh, soccer played tennis at um, you know a very competitive level and uh, as he was getting uh, a little 
bit further on in age, his friends weren't necessarily um, maintaining their physical fitness the way he was. So they were all starting to, you know, get the aches and pains from tennis and not being able to compete as hard as they wanted to. So a lot of them started playing golf and realized how much they loved it. My dad always thought golf was for for old men mm-hmm. until he was given a golf club and could not understand how a sport that is not a reaction sport. Um, because you know, the golf ball is static and you have to make it move. He never understood how hard it was. And so he, his, his education is in body mechanics and, and, um, so he just became completely obsessed with the game. And, um, on his hundredth day of playing golf from picking up a club, he shot 99 with a hole in one. Um, so actually he would have, he wouldn't have broken a hundred because the hole in one obviously would have, you know, I mean, there are 80% of hole in ones are luck um so you know he didn't really break 100 is the way i see it but (laughs) but you know the numbers don't lie and uh so he introduced my brother sister and i to the game and said this is something that you can do um and it's still it was still a young budding sport when i was uh just shy of 12 and he said we can get you a college education you can get a scholarship and you know he had all these wonderful aspirations that one day you can go out and play professionally i had no idea what that meant um but what he did was instead of, you know, taking me to a range and having me struggle to hit a golf ball or taking me to the putting green, which, you know, I still wonder if he should have actually done because I'm, I'm still a shit putter. Um, you know, he, he took me to the, to the backyard and he put a mat down. He, he taught me the, the grip. He taught me the posture of the stance and he said swing. So I just learned how to swing freely and my brother, sister and I would have to swing 500 times a day each um, every day. And we did this for about a month before he said, you know, there's a point to all of this. Um, you know, you take this little golf ball and you try and hit as far away from you as possible and you do it until you put it underground and you do it in as few swings as possible. So I was like, all right, that makes sense. And so when I first actually hit golf balls on the range, you know, I wasn't this like struggling, you know, like couldn't make contact kind of person. Cause I already had general idea of the swing. And, um, so, you know, for me, the contact came pretty quickly because I had already learned the swing. So it was like, you know, I was like, Oh, it's not that hard of a game, you know? And then reality kicked in obviously, (laughs) you know, and it's something that I'm still working on. And of course it is that, that hard of a game. It's an interesting way to go about it. I was just interested. I remember you told us a story about how you worked with, you you played down at St. Andrews beach with Sayon, uh, I think it was last year and the fun you had mucking around the short game here. Christina outlined something a bit similar there, didn't she earlier with the, Hitting trying to hit twenty yard cuts with pitching wedges. I I fear maybe that's something that gets lost from the game at that with that academy sort of upbringing. What do you reckon? Well, I think Tommy was, you know, I think she might be the. I mean, she she grew up playing golf on a range like many Koreans. I think just hitting golf balls, hitting the same shot over and over. And we finished up after about eight hours on the range hitting hybrids from one hundred and ten meters, just taking these high slices up onto the green and. It was, I'm not sure, well, I don't think she'd ever done it before, but it was, Tommy said the next week where she won, she won a tournament in China. She said she hit a shot around a tree on the ninth hole the last day playing with Envy, and he said she never would have hit it. If she hadn't done that thing last week, she never would have even seen this shot. So it's, Aww. you know, it's, um, It's another victory for you, Clates, that we no, put on your resume. It's just, you know, I think it's, um, I mean, Sue said to me, Christine, she said, I never would have played golf in Korea because I would have hated to grow up playing golf in a cage, which is perhaps an unfair assessment of how people learn to play golf in Korea. But it's... Um, Understandable, isn't it? That's a... 
yeah, it's the opposite of how you would learn to play playing golf in Scotland where you just, you know, 100 years ago when you're playing with wooden shafts and just bumping the ball along the ground and, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, all, all about inventing shots. And, and golf's, in a, in a way, lost that invention. It's because it, well, because it moved away from the links. It went, it went to inland sites and then it went to, you know, Florida and Asia and Australia where the game was completely different from what it was in in Scotland. So we, we've gradually gotten away from hitting lots and lots of inventive shots into trying to just recreate the one same thing over and over and over because partly because we play stroke play all the time. So, you know, people are scared to make a mistake. You know, in match play, it doesn't matter if you try a crazy shot and don't pull it off. You just go to the next hole and lose it. So perhaps I got a little off the subject. But... Um, I don't think so. I think that's some of the interesting stuff. About it. What about your own journey, Christine? Because playing professionally, as as Clayton says there, and it's the game that's trickled down to a lot of people in a lot of places, very different to maybe 100 years ago in Scotland when people would take up golf and the way they'd approach it. But playing that professional game, whereas Clayton, it's all about the very lowest score, and along that journey, clearly, you know, you started with some of those fun shows. How do you balance that yourself uh, and still make – it's not the – that fun, creative sort of golf, for the most part, is not going to get you a long way in professional golf, is it? So how does the game stay fun? Well, I don't know. I, I think that, um, you know, personally, I thought that Lorena Ochoa was one of the most inventive golfers I had ever come across. And I think that if she had stayed on the LPJ Tour – um, a little bit longer and her biological clock hadn't been, you know, going off as much as it was, I think that she would have set some standards that still to this day and even 10 years from now maybe would not have been able to have been met. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I definitely will say that the groove change has sort of um, flattened the ball. F- uh, no, not the groove. Sorry, sorry. The ball, the ball has definitely flattened the the world that we play in has turned it almost more two-dimensional as opposed to three because there is not much curvature and you're not really thinking about, you know, the ball's not going to necessarily come back, you know, 15 yards if you're going dead into into the wind, you know, with a six iron the way that it used to. You know, you're not going to be able to to have the ball move as much, um, you know, and – and I mean, the, the grooves actually do are, are a contributing factor to that as well because you're not going to have, you know, by having the um, – um, the V grooves now you don't you don't really you don't get the spin on the ball that you used to so you can't really cut the ball the way that that I know I did when I was 16 years old because I was always in the trees and somehow <laughs> always hit like 16 greens um, but you know I I don't know I think that you're right that it's not necessarily something that's going to um, you know win all of the tournaments you know you but it is still important to have those shots in your bag because you're not going to hit every shot perfect and you are going to have to figure out how to snap hook a you know an eight iron from 160 yards around a tree um, and have it chase up 30 40 yards um, but you know I don't know it, it is it is definitely a game that has changed a lot and it does make me sad because I, I was so much better when I was more inventive with my golf well that you've kind of answered my next question which was if we accept that professional golf at its core is entertainment and it is because no one's saving any lives out there let's be honest um, is it a more or less interesting to product product to watch in the modern era of the modern ball that goes further and spins less and now has become a a bomb and gouge, that horrible term sort of game. Probably less so on the women's side, but is it a more interesting or less interesting game to watch now than 25 years ago? 
personally, I would think it's it's less interesting. Um, you know, if you're going to talk about say the actual true artistry of the game, and um, you know, part of that is uh, like all those things we had touched up on, and I think part of that is is the introduction of the sixty degree wedge into more players' bags. Um, you know, because we're not playing the ball along the ground as much as we used to. Uh, you know, we're not. You know, um, you know, we we don't necessarily play punch shots the way that we used to and you know it's always the same exact swing and it's just depending on the wind it's more or less club uh but um i don't know it's it's different because there is something to be said about you know how many times can a person hit the same kind of shot in a row i guess you know like how close to a robot can you be there is something interesting to that um, just because of the world that we're living in is becoming more technological and, 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 you know, maybe a little bit further away from, you know, the human heart and more towards robotics. Um, but, you know, it's, it's still a game that I love. And, you know, every now and then you're going to play with a player who's got a vulvic ball that, you know, is going to kind of have an old school kind of shot. There's a girl that, um, I didn't play with her because if I, if I, if I did, I would still be laughing to this day and we wouldn't have finished the round as of now. But apparently on one hole, she hit, she, she was playing the vulvic golf ball and she hit a ball and it broke in half oh, and half the ball went OB and half the ball was in the middle of the stairway. <laughs> What's the ruling there? Wow. Um, well, it was, it was, it was actually more than half of the ball. It wasn't, it wasn't a clean break, but it was a chunk of the ball was in the fairway and the majority of the ball was OB. So the ball was OB, oh, but, um, <laughs> I did play with that same player. Um, and she was in, she was in the rough on 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 one of the holes we were playing in in Arkansas and she hit she hit this shot and as soon as she hit it she said holy shit which is she meant to say holy shit and it, her wedge landed short of the green and bounced over one hop the entire green and the green was like 30 yards long so i mean you know every now and then you're going to get the you know the random kind of squirrely shot that you can witness um sort of you know kind of old school esque in that sense where you're going to get a lot of wiggle with the occasional ball here or there, but you know, it's, it's, it's one of those like fleeting moments that you really have to enjoy at the time. Uh, that's the fun part. Well, I don't agree with you about there being something interesting about the robotic nature of the game. It's a bit I'm like trying watching... to put lipstick on a pig uh, no, here. Come it's, on. Uh, it's kind of like watching running <laughs> racing. It's athletically impressive, but how much of it can you realistically do before you want to move on and do something else? Speaking of moving on, Christina, we've taken more of your time than I meant to, and there are still a million things I want to ask you. I seem to come to the end of every one of these shows wishing we had another three hours to chat, but I better wrap it up. Unless I've missed something, Shaq, was there anything I missed with Christina that you particularly wanted to hear from her? No, I think that, that did it. Uh, we, we didn't get too far down the rat hole on the technology, so I think those out there playing the drinking game will be uh, relieved. <laughs> a bunch of so state-of-the-game listeners for a change. Uh, <laughs> indeed. All right, well, we'll let you go. Uh, thank you, Christina. It's been fabulous to talk to you. We'll have to get you back at some point. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I love being on. I get the feeling, I don't mean this in a disparity, I get the feeling you quite like to talk. Um, yeah, I've actually been <laughs> trying to hold back today a little bit because I know we only had an hour of time. Uh, we'll no do a special issue at some point. Thanks for taking some time. Really appreciate it today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun, you guys. Good. Glad to hear it. Shaq, great Thanks, to have Christina. You yeah, thank you. And thank you, Shaq. Been uh, nice to hear your dulcet tones again. Been too long. We should definitely not leave it so long next time. You need to no, do less no, work. You're too busy. That's the problem. Hey, you're the busy one, please. Yeah, well, I know I'm too busy too, but really we're going to blame you. So uh, thanks for uh, making some time <laughs> today. And, Clayton, it's always fabulous to talk to you. Thanks for your insights today. Been a real pleasure. 
Thank you, Rod. Thank you, Christina. Thank you, Jeff. Well, um, Thank you, I might please. see you soon, Chuck. I'm coming over to visit Ogilvy in a couple Great. of weeks. So I'll be in. In fact, Christina, I'll, I'll hopefully be in Phoenix with Sue. So I'll be there for a couple of weeks. Oh, yay. Let's go get dinner. So hopefully you're and there. And another anyway. practice round. That'd be All awesome. Right. Well, well, she's going Monday, so she probably won't get in. But Oh, God. Jesus there. Christ. No let's, no, let's go do a practice round. Okay. You guys will get All in. Right. Okay, we'll do that. Yeah, and this time bring a professional caddy, Christina. Yeah, He's not putting up with those as <laughs> amateurs over on the LPG Tour. That wraps it up for this episode of State of the Game. Hope you've enjoyed it as much as we've enjoyed producing it. Look forward to your company again next time on State of the Game. State of the Game is a Talk and Golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.